They were high school sweethearts that got married and had two kids. It's the Brunigs. In the swamp of DC, they tweet all day, but that's okay. They're the Brunigs. She is a journalist. He is a wonk. Wonk, wonk, wonk. They talk about the news or whatever they want. In the fight for justice, they're on your side. You can't deny it's the Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to another episode of our low-effort, low-quality podcast. This is your special guest host, Liz Brunig. This is my husband, Matt. Hello, everyone. Before we get started, I want to interject for a second for our free listeners, whether you're listening on the iTunes or SoundCloud or, or one of the other services. Uh, we haven't put out a call for this in a long time, uh, but just so you know, we do have a premium podcast feed uh, on Patreon and also now, for the first time ever on supercast you can find a link in the description check out supercast we've just added ourselves to that platform it's very easy to sign up on supercast it's like two or three clicks put your name in you're good to go a lot easier than signing up on patreon though if you want to do that obviously do that as well just want to interject very briefly if you can we don't put everything out on the free feed the stuff we put on the free feed usually though with the exception of this episode comes out two three weeks later you know so if you can go into the description click the supercast link and sign up i'm also going to put the patreon link in there but we're really trying to test out the supercast platform we be interested to see uh you know if it works and what people think about it so again there will be no more interruptions for the rest of the episode but check out our premium fees it's five bucks a month very simple uh you know good entertainment good value etc etc check it out go into the description click the links subscribe if you can we come to you from lockdown yes yeah we're in our apartment in the washington of the district of columbia uh floor number three but that's a little misleading because lobby is floor l so you see what i'm saying really on the fourth floor if you count the lobby as the first floor matt's big on how floors should be numbered yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm bothered by the fact that we haven't come to an agreement on how to number floors. I was in the Target the other day, and this is a Target that has a, like a is is literally underground. Um, and you go in, and they have an elevator as well. And I used it to go underground, and there were two floors in the Target: UL and LL. Yeah. UL and LL. I assume upper level and lower level. Mm -hmm. What are we doing? What are we doing? What is this? You can't use numbers. UL, that's the floor. Go to the Metro, okay? <clears throat> and it just says M. Like, I, it's like mezzanine, I guess. What the fuck is this? Am I at an opera? I'm trying to get on the train. I like the idea of a mezzanine, though. This is my bit I'm doing. This is my Jerry Seinfeld type oh, no. humor I'm doing. Uh oh, no folks what's the deal i'm not trying to listen to the fat lady sing i'm trying to catch the red line well not anymore 
We're not because no. We're. I um, assume the trains are still running. We're under uh, under uh, pandemic restrictions here. Feels like sometime last week we went to sleep, and then woke up in a completely different world. Uh, this was all very rapid, the way that it uh, moved. I mean, during the phase of the news where we were hearing about. Americans quarantined on the Diamond Princess or whatever. It was like, oh, how how unfortunate, you know? They got on a cruise ship and got sick. You hear about that from time to time, like Legionnaires or something, uh, you, you know, E. coli, and then they brought them back to the United States, and there was some concern that it might spread because Trump had sent officials without uh, proper protective gear uh, to retrieve them. Uh, but then it became clear that uh, that the coronavirus was already spreading throughout the United States rapidly because people had come in from traveling overseas for weeks uh, and we just weren't seeing the effects yet. Uh, but it was already sweeping through the country. At that point, a friend of ours who works in healthcare told us, if you did 10 million tests right now for coronavirus, this was the end of February, you would get a million positives. Mm. Probably about a 10% infection rate already. You don't need to sample 10 million people. Uh, a few thousand will do, but that you know that was his view, and you know the the data has pretty much borne that out. Um, so it's here, it's here, it's been here, and it's moving, and uh, it appears to be clustered along the coasts. There's a big cluster in uh, Washington mm-hmm. and uh, and California. A lot of deaths up in Seattle, and uh, and then there's clusters in New York uh, and moving down through the East Coast. So. Uh, many states have gone into lockdown mode. And there's uh, been ones here, the that priest. Yeah, there, um, there are. Number, well, that was the most disturbing one to me for yeah. whatever sticks in my mind, but that uh, was an tons a, of them. Episcopalian priest who uh, distributed communion. To 500 people, um, and he has the corona. He has the roni. And then uh, there have been lots of other cases since then confirmed in the District of Columbia. So it's moving. It's here. It's everywhere, guys. It's everywhere. And uh, moving toward the interior, it seems. And, uh, you know, several states have gone, you know, issued stay at home orders and so forth. This has had already d- disastrous impact on the economy. We've had extraordinary volatility in the stock market, historic so, drops. Yeah. No, the stocks are. What is it now? I mean, I haven't. I've just stopped it's paying just been attention. Totally destroyed. What, what happened today? I mean, um,. The stocks have been were down thirty percent at one point. I remember from their high went down another four percent today in the S and P total market index. Um, and yeah, and now we're seeing some estimates. So um, every week they report the number of people who uh, have applied for unemployment insurance. Right. I'm not sure they describe this as initial claims. Yeah. So I'm not sure if this if this is like how many people filled out a paperwork or how many people successfully like got a check. Yeah. You know their initial check. Um, that was reported this week. It was up. You know, it was high, but it wasn't that high. It was like, you know, whatever. I mean, it was ba- it was bad, but it wasn't it. But th- but then we had the report today from uh, Goldman Sachs saying. Uh, next week's gonna be two million. Yeah, this week was like two hundred eighty k. Like that's how many new people needed unemployment checks, and that's only like I don't know, just you know maybe a hundred k more than normal, which is you know we it's a big country, but they're like no, next time's gonna be two mil, and that's like ten times more than we've ever seen, and you know we'll see if their projection is correct. 
these other models, which are using different methods, are suggesting that the unemployment rate will reach as high as 20%. I've seen multiple models reach that conclusion. 20% unemployment. The Great Recession, uh, I think, was at 9 or 10. That was its top. That was its top level. So we're talking double Great Recession numbers. I mean, we're talking Great Depression numbers. If these models are correct, we're talking Great Depression. Yeah. Period. Um, so that that's... It's extraordinary what's happened. Yeah, and then... You know, data comes out on a lag, at least the official data. But there are, you know, various companies that because of what they do, they're able to collect a decent amount of data. Right. You know, like uh, if it's a company that attracts payroll and hours. Yep. You know, like there are these big companies. They do that for like hundreds, you know, tens of thousands of firms use them to track that so that they don't have yeah. to do it themselves. They outsource it. Well, so that means they've got master look on yeah. hundreds of thousands of companies. And they're like, our internal data say hours are down 30%. Yeah. 40, 40%. Um, By the way, Matt's had this call for, for months. Yeah, yeah. I've had this since this December. This is a long call. <laughs> so I'm not too worried about it. But um, I'm extremely worried because well, something's could, clearly wrong with you pulmonarily. And I'm afraid it could be a comorbidity or something. Yeah, I'm afraid you're going to get the Rona. But uh, but yeah, so you know that's not looking good. And then there was data from the food stamps in California, and it was just a hockey stick um, that was put out by the company that runs the app that you can use to apply for food stamps in California. Yeah. There's like a app that's called CalFresh, I think that uh, you can use actually, which is interesting because I, I don't think a lot of states have that, but they have that and the company or entity or whatever that runs that app put out the data showing that food stamp uh, food stamp applications just went through the roof in, in literally like the last day or two days. Um, and um, meanwhile, speaking of app data. And that's the tip of the iceberg. That's the tip this of the cumulative iceberg. cumulative from here. Right. So this is only going to snowball. Um and uh, it's gonna it's gonna get worse as more data comes out. Another thing worth recognizing is that we're in the early stages of our country's response to the coronavirus, and we're also in the early stages of our experience with it. It is going to spread further, infect per further, and there are people who are infected now who are not as bad as they're going to get yet. So there are people who are already sick now who just need more time to get sicker to show up at hospitals and overwhelm them. Mm -hmm. Already we're getting news of hospitals uh, that are at capacity, that are struggling uh, to build out capacity. Someone posted a picture of Vanderbilt Medical Center's parking garage, and they have already filled it with hospital beds mm -hmm. in preparation for the surges they're going to see. Mm -hmm. um, oh, you're going to have, uh, you know, gyms full of hospital gyms beds, right? Hospital I mean, that's beds. what you saw, the old pictures of like right. 1918. Uh, and uh, they, they have started to uh, mobilize Navy hospital ships and move them towards ports uh, like New York and in California uh, to begin to load people onto those. So um, you're probably going to see the Army Corps of Engineers building field hospitals. In other countries, we've seen them uh, say, hey, if you're a medical student, 
uh, you're a doctor now. You're drafted. Right. You're do- you don't have your credential, whatever. You're a doctor now. Right. So Sign up to doctor. We're already hearing a bit of that. Um, um, and that's fine. I mean, that's going to happen here for sure, that's right? That's going to happen. And another thing that you're seeing is um, countries <laughs> offering to send us doctors. <laughs> Um, Cuba uh, well, that, tends yeah, to do well, that. that. That's not going to be a thing for, I mean, because uh, people are going to keep their own doctors for sure. Well, some countries may control it better than we have. Our our response was bungled. Oh, uh, that's um, true. Yeah, that would be an interesting so, question. So, um, so we'll see how that goes. Um, there will also be local mutations in this virus, it seems to me, uh, according to chatter that I've heard among the medical community that might mean some countries get it worse than others, have higher death rates and some lower. Uh, but we'll see how all of that goes. Of course, populations all have different sensitivities because populations have different age profiles um, and populations have different comorbidity profiles. Um, so what we know about coronavirus is that it adversely affects older people at higher rates um, starting at age 60, according to a CDC briefing last week, uh, that's when the risk begins to really jump uh, for, for serious illness and death. Um, and then people who have lung disease, who are undergoing cancer, who are immunocompromised, et cetera, tend to also have uh, extraordinary struggles with this, as well as diabetes. So uh, according to app data, there is a, I, I can't remember what it's called, but there is an app uh, that is attached to a thermometer. There's mm-hmm. like a thermometer that, uh, you know, you, you take your temperature and it logs it. Okay. And then it loads it onto a map of the United States so you can see where sort of hot zones are, where lots of people are having very high oh, fevers. Oh, yeah. So this is not one of those companies that yeah. is, ha- has real-time data that has, the government doesn't have. Has real-time have. data. And if Florida is just on fire. That's th- these, This stuff's going to be very interesting from that front. I and mean, so, very uh, morbid, but, it, you know, I, I'm always interested to find these new indicators these you new know. data you know so florida is just um i mean it's livid red like high temperatures big clusters um and that's a place with a lot of elderly people and well, they just sent all those kids down there to to drink and fuck for the week yeah unfortunately spring breaks still happen what goddamn idiots did you see that news broadcast with <laughs> the the boardwalk millennials i mean they every single person in there looked like they had um, some sort of like uh, stage makeup on to be in the hills have eyes or something. No, no, I thought the one guy he had a legit point. Oh, he who said, God he was like, You guys be focusing on this. Uh, what about poverty? What about homelessness? What about the everyday horror of American society? I kind of juiced it up a little bit, but that's that's what he said. Uh, he was spring breaking in Florida, <laughs> and I was like, Absolutely, this guy's right. This Here guy's right. I mean, you know. It's called Kinza, the digital uh, thermometer app. Uh, they've been around for a few years. What's unique about them that their thermometer is connected to an app on your phone not only allows you to track your temperature. It's weird, though, because Florida, yes, you're right, has a lot of elderly people. Are elderly people using a thermometer app? I mean, probably not. Look. So this is this is probably worse. But you can see how on the map. No, I see uh, it, but this must be younger middle-aged people who have it. And, and the, the, like the elderly people. Right, it people doesn't matter who it is. But they're all well, an elderly are going to get it. The elderly are going to get it. Oh, so we know if, if there are clusters of young, middle aged, whatever people using that's this app in Florida, break, right? it's going to spread around these elderly people and that's going to cause a humongous surge There's in a hospitals. Big gap in the Everglades, right? There. Right. And, and that this is going to be, this is going to overwhelm no crocodiles uh, have it. their healthcare system. So that's when you're really going to start seeing. Yeah, when you could see doctors maybe getting shipped around states. Maybe, maybe, because the interior, as you can see, is fairly, Yeah, they're either well, not using the app or yeah. they're not as sick yet. And it, but the clusters, you know. 
It's not it's not great, obviously, because it's not a it random a sample. But right. the fact that Florida has it and the fact that... Well, you can see DFW. Uh, well, every city, you know, yeah. uh, someone once said uh, every uh, every map that tries to illustrate some sort of social indicator is just a population density map because <laughs> like it all it always just ends up being like you see the things and you're like oh that's well, just where the cities this are this isn't i mean you do have a little bit of that going on in <laughs> california dfw new york and so forth but you can see the cluster up in washington and oregon sure um and you can see the cluster up in new york and we those are known clusters what what you don't hear about too much yet are the clusters up in the midwest michigan and uh, here down in the south, going through Tennessee, um, northern Alabama, Georgia, uh, Mississippi, uh, the Carolinas. Anyway, uh, the point of all of this is this is real. It's here. This is the once every few hundred years uh, type pandemic. I guess the other 1918. Um, so yeah, we're right on the We're right on mark. time uh, that, that they happen. And we'll see if we have what it takes to, um, to deal with it. Um, you know, very, very disturbing stuff. I think that what concerns me about Florida is that once you have lots of elderly people getting sick, these are it's a high risk population, you have them going to the hospital, they're going to need to be at the hospital, they're going to be, you know, intubated in some cases, they're going to need ventilators, we know we have a major ventilator shortage. Um, that's when you're going to start seeing footage that causes like social unrest. You're going to start seeing footage of like dead bodies in parking lots and shit. Um, yeah i mean that's gonna start probably i mean uh, that's when i mean i think people are concerned right now but when you hit that level of panic is when you start seeing looting uh and lawlessness and uh, you, you come to a whole new level of difficulty <laughs> in i don't know what they're gonna order. do when they hit capacity because w there's one thing where you hit ventilator capacity that's obviously a real <laughs> problem but you know, if you can bring them into the hospital and get them in a bed, then maybe, you know, even though that's not going to save them, that well, keeps, so, keeps so, things somewhat calm. So this is pretty remarkable. So I'm reporting a story on this right now, and I've talked to several doctors who work in emergency medicine. Um, and I asked them, you know, what happens when you hit ventilator capacity and you start to have patients who come in who need ventilators and you have to make choices about who gets them? Um, and across the board the doctors that I talked to just didn't want to think about it. They were like, that's never happened in the United States. The problem that we generally have in America is we try to do too much to people who are dying. You know, we, we intubate them too readily or we expend way too much money and effort keeping people who are clearly not going to make it alive. End of life spending in the U.S. is among the highest in the world. And they're like... Absolutely. It, it's nothing, you know, we read about it in our ethics courses, like the, the possibility of it. Um, but it's just not anything we've had to think about so far. And it, it's something we never thought we would. And so one doctor told me, if we have a surge of people uh, coming in, we will not turn anyone away. We will, um, uh, you know, he said, uh, you know, I will have people in hallways and in parking garages and in storerooms and whatever else before I'll turn someone away. Yeah, well, they'll set up makeshift hospitals and schools. Right. And they'll he, set them up everywhere, but you might not turn them away. But right. But well, you're, you can't treat them. And so them. then another doctor I asked about, well, what if you hit capacity with ventilators and you have to start making choices? What do you tell someone who are you going to take off a ventilator? You know, because say you have a 40-year-old patient who needs a ventilator and an 80-year-old patient who needs a ventilator. 
Yeah. And she said, well, you know, the way that conversation would go is we're not stopping care. We're going to continue to have doctors and nurses here to make you comfortable. And we're going to administer medication that improves your quality of life. But the goal of treatment is no longer the preservation of life. Mm, palliative care. Right. You move them on to you transition them to palliative care. Yeah. And that's very alarming. It will be very alarming for families. Yes. It will be very alarming for the patients. Um, and, you know, I mean, it's possible we don't get there, um, but it seems like by the day we get closer um, as our efforts to prepare seem to falter. Yeah, I don't know where the counts are. I, I you know, I don't know where the, but, but yeah. Um, so that, I mean, it's going to, it, it will be very, uh, it could be very transformative. It could be very shocking, it, you know. It could be, as the, as the, the Chapo boys were saying today, you know, the, the, a restart of history, a reboot of history. History's happening again. It's here, baby. It's kind back. Kind of thing. And um, what's going to result from it? Um, you both have just the immediate crisis of, well, what's going to happen? How many people are we going to go over capacity for and just have nothing for? Are we going to be able to keep the non-medical parts of the economy running obviously a lot of that's going to be shut down but are we going to be able to make sure people have places to live and food to eat and water and electricity i would think that we could manage that and it's just a sort of financial question of making sure that obviously do not cut off any of those things right do not i don't care if people are paying rent i don't care if people are paying mortgage for the time being they're going to be in their where they are and we'll figure out the balance sheets later right um and electricity workers need to keep going grocery store workers need to keep going yeah i saw that report from minnesota which i tweeted in which they the governor apparently uh, just straight up says grocery workers are emergency workers they get free child care um which raises another interesting point obviously which is you know can we unsee all the things that are going to happen to make this survivable, assuming those things do happen, which, so, you know. What we'll need to make this survivable, I think, is like a combination of things. There's like three main things. You need massive mobilization of production. So this is like... In the health sector. Well, right. I mean, but, so you know, you'll, you'll need General Motors and other manufacturers to turn towards making ventilators uh, turn towards making life-saving medical equipment. Right. Uh, you will need perfumers. I mean, I saw Christian Dior is making hand sanitizer. Yeah, yeah. Right. Anyone with capacity to make that kind of material will have to turn to doing that. Right. Clothiers will need to turn to surgical gowns and masks. Right. And we'll need to do that fast. Right. So a, a warlike industrial policy in which every sector is repurposed towards medicine, except for crucial sectors right that can't food be. electricity so on food utilities um, and if they're not cooperative you have the the kind of rising specter i think of nationalization yeah i think they'll be cooperative with that specter but yes you, of course you have to flip the switch and nationalize any company that is capable of doing what's necessary but won't do it is unwilling to stop production Absolutely. or whatever you just immediately flip the switch sorry you're publicly owned now and all of the signals that we're getting out of the federal government right now suggest they're willing to do that <laughs> larry codlow said it the uh, and trump said it 
though that was a question about uh well you have so you have two questions one is what do you do with these companies like airlines which are just going to be shuttered for like a year assuming some of these estimates are correct what do you do with them they're not going to be able to survive they're going to need money just as a kind of financial basis to keep their balance sheets clean and you know keep things running from a just money perspective what do you do with them i have said and bernie sanders has said and larry kudlow has said he agrees and donald trump has said he agrees though again you know take all that with a grain of salt that those companies give them money that they need to survive but we also need to get equity from them this is not an uncommon thing that happens in these sorts of situations Iceland in the last uh, recession uh, nationalized all their banks in this way. Uh, We did this to GM just a few years ago. So there's that question. For those big companies that are maybe not relevant to production right now, but who need money to survive, how do we get the money and do we ask for anything in return? I say yes, we ask for equity. Then you have the other groups, Mm -hmm. which are people who actually are relevant to production right now Mm -hmm. and who need to be repurposed to other production. And that, I guess, is like, I think they call like the Defense Production Act Mm -hmm. or the Wartime Production Act or whatever. There's apparently some existing authority that Trump has said he is willing to straight up, we will take over your factories. Oh, I think Trump would love to do that. Um, Yeah. Um, That's the kind of leader he is. Honestly, I feel like he's kind of checked out. but, But his crew that is trying to manage this um yeah you have to you have to i mean it's something that is necessary and love right wingers love doing what's necessary that's their favorite kind of thing to do yeah um and so you know they will do it i think yeah Um, yeah, i don't think there will have any qualms i mean especially it's decisive bodies in the street i mean come on you're not gonna let someone keep going and honestly i think the companies because the companies don't have it's not like, well, on the, on, if not, we'll continue to make our perfumes and make a profit. People are not going out and buying your perfumes right, right. now. Right. You need to so, do this now. Yes. <laughs> and so, well, um, just, yeah, so there's no alternative. And, and, and I think uh, as civilians, we're all about to get very acquainted with the military would be my expectation if it gets to that point. So if you do see surges that overwhelm hospital capacity, another thing about overwhelming hospital capacity is you don't just have people sick with coronavirus dying and, and in, a, in a highly visible way that we're not used to seeing in the 21st century. You also have people with other healthcare needs unrelated to coronavirus who can't get care because it's fully maxed out yes. by coronavirus care. So, um, you know, I'm looking into what are OB-GYNs doing? Well, uh, I don't think it's impossible that women who are due to give birth during this will be told if you are having a normal pregnancy and you are, uh, you know, a young, healthy woman, do it at home. Yes. Um, you There'll know, be a lot of t- triage going on. Right. Buy a book and let your husband or whoever's with you learn how to deliver a baby, but just not possible to well, do it that, in hospitals. Well, that's another one where it's like, can you deputize? Right. Why, why can't anyone who's a nurse should be able to deliver right i don't think it's unthinkable that we'll have a situation like they had in britain in the in the mid 20th century where you have a midwife come to your house yes and just kind of be like you know sorry honey there's no epidural there's uh there's just you and me right um and and that may be what we see for a while um which will have lots of of unsettling knock-on effects um Anybody with chronic conditions where they need to be in the hospital. Uh, You know, I talked to a a man who has pancreatic cancer. 
in my reporting, you know, it's risky for him to go in for the treatment he needs because the hospitals are only going to continue to fill up with contagiously sick people and he's immunocompromised because he's going to do chemotherapy. But so, you know, it's a, it's a big thing that's happening now. Mm -hmm. And I I think that all prompts the kind of wartime mobilization we're hearing about. I hope the government uh, is able to go through with that in a reasonable amount of time to start getting these ventilators out. I think that uh, that would do a lot to prevent the kind of unrest I'm most worried about. Well, the the ventilator, I mean, you got to produce the ventilators. That's really now. Yeah. Yeah. But so you got to find, you know, there are companies that do it and I guess you could try to repurpose other factories that aren't doing it. But yeah, I mean, you both have you have a just straight up production problem, yeah, and not one that can be uh, achieved with uh, market incentives, nope. and so on. And no, sorry, full blown Soviet style, yeah. like that's Go what you to gotta work do. And make it happen. With this, we need we we are setting a literal quota for what needs to be produced. Not setting aside money per se. I mean, obviously you'll be paid, right. but like, no, no, we need the material, right. And we it needs need to happen now. The machine, uh, not will incentivize the product. No, no, no. Take it over, do it. Yeah. Um, but that's going to require a lot of competence to do well. I think, like you said, they do seem more and more willing to say, yeah, yeah, we're willing to do anything, whatever it takes, hands on. Well, but other, you still got to do it. You got to execute. The other thing uh, that you might see is nationalization or um, harsh government treatment of pharmaceutical companies. Uh, as, yeah. As uh, well, yes. I mean, look, uh, drugs are free now. Like, yeah, I mean, you've already like, seen um, companies trying to profiteer off of antivirals and, uh, and uh, you know, the vaccine thing is a profit opportunity. And I, I strongly believe that as vaccines or treatments become available, you could very well see the federal government of the United States saying, sorry, they're free. You're not going to do any of this price doubling. Uh, no, no. Uh, oh, I'm yeah. sorry. Were you the first one to get to the coronavirus vaccine? Uh, sorry, the patent office uh, lost your paperwork. That's not happening. Yeah. Uh, it's completely unpatented and unpatentable. There are, if you read some of the reports, as many as three people in like very reputable labs and mm-hmm. universities and stuff in the U.S. alone, and that's not counting some other countries, who say that they have already produced and what they think is an effective vaccine, but uh, you have to trial that. And I was reading that the FDA has already just streamlined, approved human trials. They're already injecting people with this stuff. Um, yeah. but those, Kaiser is already doing trials in Washington state with human subjects. Those trials take, you know, you got to wait like a year or something after you've, oh, they may or may not I after mean, you've poked them to see if it works. Well, you, you have to, you, you can't then distribute it out. Like if it, if it kills people a year later and you've, you only monitor them for a month and then you distribute it out to the whole population, right. how you've just committed mass genocide. Well, we'll, we'll see um, how that goes. But I, I think that the companies are not going to be allowed to fool around. No, 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 um, no, 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 no. And I think the government's already signaling that. The next thing, you know, moving from production mobilization is um, you're going to have, and in some ways are already having, an enormous cultural shift. The ground yes. on what American culture is like is going to invert, right? So if you think about 
uh, every year in my childhood, my parents are big Fox, Fox News viewers, right? Uh-huh. And Jesse Waters would always go down to Florida to interview idiot kids on spring break. Uh-huh. And he'd be like, who was the you know 16th president of the United States? Mm-hmm. And they'd be like, Bush. <laughs> and you know, they're drunk and whatever. Yeah, and he, yeah, you know, yeah. he, he would always try to interview the girls with the little bikinis and the big boobs. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. I That's mean, good TV. It's great TV. Um, Waters World. He's a, he's a real journalist, a hard-hitting shit. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know it would just be laughing at college kids and the libs and whatever mm-hmm. that plays well with their 65 year old audience you compare uh, that the attitude of tolerance and libertinism that produced uh, you know indifference toward traditions like spring break like whatever yeah go do your thing who cares it's funny it's ridiculous to the widespread explosive reproach aimed at the kids who went and did spring break despite the warnings against it, that is a sign of cultural change. Things that were previously okay or previously tolerated under the heading of, you know, people can do what they want. Not anymore. Mm -hmm. People who are not cooperating, who are not showing solidarity, who are not uh, fighting for people they don't know, in -hmm. fact, are about to be shunned, hated, attacked, right screamed at in the street <laughs> i feel like we i feel like we haven't turned the leaf entirely let yet you yeah, still you do still see a little trickles yeah. corona katie yeah like uh, i don't care i'm still gonna go out and eat i'm, I'm gonna well, help it's remarkable so. so the governor of oklahoma was like yeah. we went out to our favorite bar he had to delete that tweet that's true people went fucking nuts right. on him right and corona katie this former miss nevada who's a big trump gal is like she replied to an aoc tweet uh, saying please stay indoors and mm-hmm. she was like i just went to red robin i enjoyed my meal because mm-hmm. i'm american again had to like lock down the account mm-hmm. hide from social media <laughs> um that is being disciplined socially mm-hmm. and you're going to see that only intensify you would think especially yeah if it right? ramps up it's gonna yeah. if it gets ugly and you're seeing scary things on the news and people are are being put on these orders where they're losing their jobs and it's all for the greater good People who do not cooperate and are not acting in a public-minded way for the greater good are about to be fucking hated, mm-hmm. and their their lives will be in danger. I mean, it sounds crazy now, but once you start seeing bodies and people start losing people close to them, right? My mom dies, my dad dies, my grandma dies, uh, my husband who had cancer, he's dying. Once people start being personally impacted on a large scale, which is going to happen, and you start seeing frightening things on the news... Um, people who are going out and trying to, uh, you know, party or eat. I mean, those things are going to continue to be shut down. Uh, but people who are trying to, you know, go out and in any way uh, fail to cooperate with what is needed for the public good, who are profiteering, right? People who hoard and then try to price gouge on hand sanitizer and stuff. That dude's going to get killed. <laughs> That guy, is, his life is in danger. That was an, an interesting story because I think he thought that it was going to make him look good. Right. He was like, I'm a smart... Because, right, because culture changed very quickly. That's what it's a demonstration of, right? So mm-hmm. before all this began happening, if you recognized that lots of people were want to go to a Taylor Swift concert and you bought 500 tickets and then sold them for a higher price, the perspective would have been like, hey, good on you, man. You spotted something, you were enterprising, you took advantage of a market, you know, it's an honest transaction. Yeah, an arbitrageur. Right, you saw what the market would bear in terms of prices and and you you exploited that, you you turned a buck. I mean, what is that but capitalism? But what you're going to see happen is people who have 
stocked up on toilet paper or hand sanitizer. And you can already see this a bit, trying to sell it for higher prices and keeping it away from people. Not only are they going to begin to be characterized as leeches, parasites, um, evil people who are causing the spread of disease, agents of the coronavirus, they're going to be at risk. Well, Amazon shut them down. I mean, that was the nature of that right, story. Right, but if I was that guy, I would not have given my full name, man. Well, I think he thought this was right. going to... I think he thought the story was David versus Goliath, right. uh, not unlike uh, the stuff that, uh, you know, the Open Markets Institute and uh, all those groups have put out for a long time, yeah. which is that Amazon is really uh, unfair to third-party, little, small, mom-and-pop guys who want to sell on their platform. Like, that's definitely a big narrative yeah. that has promulgated over the years yeah. um, as part of this kind of anti-monopoly, big guy versus little guy thing. And I think he thought his story fit well into that. Yeah. Not that he keeps track of these uh, policy debates on that level, but he's probably at least generally aware of, you know these sorts of points about right. third-party sellers because he says he's he's done this for a long time. He's, right. They call it retail arbitrage, which mm -hmm. is the first time I heard that term in that story, where they kind of try to predict trends and where people are going to want a lot of things and, and they do this. And I think that's what he thought the story was going to be. But instead, it actually was like, Look at this asshole! And right, he's trying to fuck you. We props all, to you Amazon know. for just yeah. cutting him off. Of right. course, now we need to figure out, and the, and this is where I think, like you said, uh, <laughs> there is a question of of risk to him. Right, I would not clarify that I have all those things. He can't. Right, he can't sell the stuff anymore because Amazon won't let him. So that means in his garage he has like whatever thousands of uh, yeah. units of hand sanitizer and what's he gonna do with that uh you know right um, people are already stealing hand sanitizer out of children's hospitals i saw that on the news um and so yeah i mean you're going to begin to see and again i'm not i'm not saying that i am encouraging this or i approve of it this is just a prediction based on you know things that have happened in other societies before you're just going to see an enormous change in how we think about these things culturally mm-hmm and it could mean a greater feeling of solidarity, kind of similar to wartime solidarity. Mm -hmm. It could mean a rise in social trust, right? People relying on each other. You're also seeing um, mobilization of groups of volunteers. So in New York, um, there, there are thousands of people who have volunteered to help elderly people and other high-risk folks stay isolated by bringing them groceries, food, prescriptions. In our co-op that we live in, I am running our relief effort for people who are high risk doing mm -hmm. that same thing. Um, and already surges and surges of volunteers, people who want to help, who are interested. Yeah. So that's a big change from America's kind of individualistic uh, to each his own, you know, I'm going to get mine uh, type thinking. Um, so those are like two changes, production, culture. And then there's a third, um, which is welfare. Yes, to, well, distribution, right? right? And so um, you're already seeing vast changes in how we think about distribution. Really, really surprising. Oh ones. yes, <laughs> yes. No, uh, uh, you know, not to toot my own horn on this, but there there was a tweet the, uh, yesterday from someone I don't know who they were that just said, uh, "It's you know as if uh, COVID nineteen was produced in a PPP lab to get <laughs> uh, uh, everyone convinced that they need to implement." their policy proposals right um 
But yeah, you're seeing a lot of very interesting moves on this. One, of course, is a very broad-based support all of a sudden for basic income, Mm -hmm. um, which heretofore was seen as a kind of zany weirdo idea. Um, I've, of course, uh, promoted the universal basic dividend, um, which is a version of that. Um, But in general, been been, you know, open to this idea. I mean, I don't see why we shouldn't should be opposed to providing universal cash payments as part of a welfare system. Um, You saw Republicans proposing that. Mm -hmm. You saw Trump proposing that. You saw Romney proposing that. You saw a whole variety like not just democrats but but republicans as well and at one point there was this sort of bizarre period in the discourse where uh there were a number of republican senators uh who were to the left of uh nancy pelosi and kamala harris and and these democrats who uh seemed to be stuck in a seemed to uh, be stuck in 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 the prior world Mm -hmm. the the pre-covid world uh, sort of like, uh, remember what they used to say, the, the pre-9-11 world or yes. whatever it was? They seem to still be operating there. And they were like, no siree, this is going to be uh, targeted and means tested and so on and so forth. And, and everyone's just screaming at them to shut the fuck up and get the money out. Um, no, you so you've seen that shift. And, and I've seen it beyond that. The GOP did eventually put out a proposal uh, that's the senators that was uh, awful. Yeah. I mean, from my perspective, I would have always said this kind of proposal is ridiculous and wrong. And the basic upshot of the proposal is like anyone who's listened before is a trapezoid program where if you're low income, you get, you know, a certain amount of money. You may not get any money depending, you know, on on the precise nature of it. And then the amount of money you get goes up and up and up the more money you make. Mm-hmm. And then at some point it levels off and then at some point it phases out. So right. it phases in based on income, there's a plateau, and then it phases out based on income. And this is everywhere. If you actually look at welfare policy in the last 25 years, it's everywhere. The earned income tax credit is like this. The child tax credit is like this. The child independent care tax credit like this. I think there's some seven or eight different programs that are structured like this phase in right plateau phase out and not just that everything that we've seen the democrat not everything but the sort of still the center of the democratic party the gravity of it is still proposing this stuff right. kamala harris's lift act works like that uh the gain act which is another eitc proposal works like this the working families tax relief act which got every democratic senator in every single democratic senator to endorse it just to, just like a year ago works like that right yeah and so the dims love that stuff oh yeah and i've always been very very critical of it i even coined the term trapezoid so that i could group all these proposals together because previously as far as i know they hadn't been grouped as a kind of typology mm-hmm. it would just be like oh well you have ctc and you have eitc and you and they were just sort of all different programs and i tried to group them as a typology and then just just attack them as a category of things and i remember very distinctly when i was doing this at one point there were certain people who also are very interested in this beat yep who would say things like, you know, 
I actually agree with Matt's points, but I don't know why he's so extreme about them. Like, why? Why does he? It was criticized as a kind of purism. Yeah. It was criticized as a kind of like, okay, this guy is, you know, he's just sort of harping on non-ideal changes. Yeah. Like, look, man, we're not going to get an ideal policy. You should be happy with this. It at least helps some poor people, even if it doesn't help all of them, even if it excludes the very poor and so on. Right. This is what you would hear over and over and over and over and over again, that that kind of criticism is just way out there, just way out there, extreme, just why are you such an asshole? Things are getting better just because they're not perfect. Why don't you shut up about it? Or, you know, this is badly motivated. You're just trying to embarrass the Dems. I remember getting that as well. And today... Every fucking dim on Twitter, even the centrists, yeah, even were like, "Holy shit, this GOP proposal excludes low-income Americans." Yeah, unbelievable. You got a rep- well, you got straight up Josh Hawley proposing amendments to say, "Nope, we're going to include low-income Americans in it." Uh, reportedly, other fairly con- very conservative republican senators are out there saying nope we need to fix this make sure it includes them and most remarkable all to me yeah. as someone who's in the think tank game is the center uh on budget and policy priorities cbpp put right. out a little report being like this is unbelievably heinous they're excluding right you know the cbpp they've been pushing that shit for years for years They've been pushing these phased-in tax credits, these phased-in right. trapezoid tax credits. Bob Greenstein pushed that forever. And if you interviewed, I would listen to interviews of Bob Greenstein, he'd be like, well, you know, that's just the, the way America is. You know, yeah, you know, like, I, I wish that we could do better, but that's just the way America is, and I'm going to try to, I'm going to take what we can get. You know, and you guys can sit over there, and you can harp on it and say it's not perfect, but here I am, I'm fighting for every dollar. For right. low and moderate income Americans. That's what I'm doing. Every dollar we can get, even if it's not perfect. You know, and then of course, you'd have all these people be like, wow, that's the real policy man. Yeah. He really cares. Not today. No. Now all those critiques that I levied at these kinds of programs, they're all saying them. They're all like, holy shit, this is a moral obscenity. Yeah. Structuring a program so it phases in and therefore excludes the very poor, satanic. Right. That's where we are. That's where we are on just that point. Who knows where shit's going to go yeah. with the other stuff? Who knows? We're about to have 20% unemployment by some of the models. Right. These people are going to come off their jobs. How are they going to get health insurance? Medicaid? They're all going to go on a Medicaid? How's that going to work? Cobra? <laughs> they're going to go pay for Cobra? Right. And what if they get sick? It's not like their needs are going to be light. Is Medicaid going to be able to absorb those people? Does it have the administrative capacity to do right. that? The, the urge for just being like, okay, look, the public covers 
everything because right. it's not just going to be uh covid or whatever there are going to be all sorts of health needs that these people who get uh, uh pregnant thrown child, off their jobs birth, right. are going to deal what how are you going to deal with them right. you're just gonna have to be like look man just go to the doctor and we'll take care of it right, right? one way or another and like that's going to have to be a lot of this shit just because how are you going to coordinate it except to be like look guys uh sort of communistically exchange without money right. and then we'll figure it out later and make sure everyone's okay right. like that's basically we'll what settle you're gonna up have on to the do. back end yeah that's right if you if you prevent people from going to the doctor or if you prevent people from getting food or if you prevent people from having shelter in the short term because they can't pay and you try to run things as though there is not a massive emergency happening, then you will get civil unrest. Oh, yes. I mean... No, no. You, 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 uh, someone trying to go to the store and it's like, oh, I'm sorry, you don't have money, no food for you. That's no, no, no. Yeah. Like right now, there's a small enough number of people for whom that's the case that you can kind of get away with it. They're, they're hungry, but there are some services where they can go to food banks or something like that. It's manageable. The numbers that you're talking about who are going to be in that situation, if you can't get cash to them quickly, and a lot of them are probably going to fall through the cracks because the welfare state is not well developed as it is, yeah. and we can get into that, you, you're just going to have to kind of at some point probably be like, um, if someone can't pay at the grocery store, just make sure they're not getting too much and like, you know. Just let them go, and right. we'll, and we'll take not, care of if it. If they're not hoarding, the I mean, government will come and like, give you money later. If you if you don't let people see to their basic needs, right? These are people with families and so forth who used to have jobs, who by no fault of their own were pushed out of their jobs during this emergency. These are waiters, people in the service industry, hospitality. All of these industries have been largely <laughs> shut down, you know, and their employees have been laid off or furloughed. Um, if you don't let them see to their basic needs, people who are in that situation in large enough numbers are going to begin to disregard the law. Oh, so the reason for giving them cash is to preserve the system in which we pay cash for things. Because yes. if not, you're going to see the total destruction of that way of yes. life. <laughs> well, yes. I, and I think everyone's committed, it seems like, on princi- uh, on paper, right. get the cash. But can you get the cash to them? Yeah. This is the other problem. And this is, I wonder if we're going to have a long-term shift from this. And that is the U.S. welfare state is badly, badly, badly developed. Right. Um. I mean, we see these proposals, for instance, that are like, even the ones that are like, well, let's try to find a way to get $1,000 a month to each person. Right. And then people are like, how? Right. <laughs> what? I, we don't even know all the people. We, right. don't, we don't have records for them. Right. And we, we don't can't have, have them crowd welfare offices. We don't, yeah. Though they can't come to the welfare offices, of course. They don't, we don't have bank accounts for, for a lot some of them, of them don't unbanked. have bank accounts. You're going to have to send them checks and then they're going to have to go to the Walmart center or whatever to cash That's it. Not good. Um, not ideal. But we, even the other people, we don't have stuff for them. Can we even send, how are we going to reach these people? There's no, it's not a, it's not a designed or developed system. I mean, I was thinking, and so it's like. They're going to have to install miniature welfare offices in grocery stores. They're going to have to build a welfare state during the middle of the pandemic right and just the basic capacities of the welfare state because when yeah. i'm thinking about these other countries these other countries are going to have to ramp up benefits they're going to have to do extraordinary things as well yeah but you know you look at a country that's very well and highly administered like say a nordic country they they know they can get this stuff going quickly right even just unemployment benefits, very easy. 
go online, fill out a form. They know when you move, you register your address. Yeah. Everything. They know where you live. I mean, when I was there, I was I actually learned a little factoid, and I may have shared this on the podcast before. They don't do a census in Finland. You know, right now, right now we're doing the census. And I hadn't even thought about that. that. What yeah. the fuck's going to go on with the census? Yeah. That has to be done every 10 years. And then that dictates tons of shit uh, that, you know, uses that those numbers, um, including representation and so on. They don't do a census. It's like, why not? Well, we have all the information we need. We just collect it. Right. Just normally. We know how many, when people are born, we add them up. When they die, we take them off the rolls. When people immigrate, we know our population. We know their incomes. We know where they live. We know all of that. It's just, we've got it ready. Well, so we just tally that up and then we put a report out. That's all we do. We don't need to send out surveys. Right. And if you have that kind of information, because you're a very highly and well-administered society, you can handle these things. I was thinking about uh, another example of this. Um, in the U.S. and in these countries as well, kids, obviously, they eat meals at school. Right. Right. And that's a big thing. Um, I mean, big. A lot of people heavily rely on that in the U.S. Uh, kids go hungry if they can't do that. There are all these like supplemental programs that have kind of been built onto it where, for example, kids will get, um, they'll send them home with food on Friday. Mm-hmm. Um, like So like, just straight up, you pull a bunch of kids out of school, and a lot of these schools have been closed. Our schools have been closed. They can't get their meal anymore. Right. And what do you do about that? And so, so you, far... You've seen some places begin to mobilize around that. Yeah, well, so they tried to, like, do that, but in a different way. So, like, in one case, it's like, uh, there was a very, I thought, very creative one in which they said every morning the buses will still run their normal routes to pick up the kids. And I guess this is an area where there's a high level of participation in the bus, especially for poor kids, yeah. which are the ones that receive the meals because we 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 means test school meals so that high income kids can't get the school meals. Just fucking crazy. Um, that kind of stuff or like, oh, uh, we'll have a few meal sites open and we'll be very careful and, you know, whatever. But like fundamentally, when you think about this, well, why don't you just feed them at home? Well, I can't. I don't have any money. Right. Um, And then I'm thinking about, well, what would I do if I were in another, like, they're going to have this problem in Finland, let's say, or Sweden or these other countries. They also feed kids at school. And what would you do? Oh, we have this program called Child Allowance. Every month, we give every parent a certain cash amount for every kid they have. That already happens. Right. We've, so we already do that. Every month we send a check to every parent. Why don't you just increase the check? Be like, how much does the lunch cost? Two bucks? Okay. We'll increase each check by 60 bucks. Boom. You just solved your problem. Right? Yeah. And so, you know, having it's- that welfare instru- infrastructure already in place allows you to respond to these things without trying to like r- fucking reinvent the wheel yeah. and build it on the fly. Um, so that's a very distressing situation. We're just simply not designed to handle this. And then of course that makes me wonder in the aftermath of this, it's so unknowable at this point, but what, what could you build? And it seems like to me, I mean, God, you would like to think you can make the case for people at that point 
hey. This could happen again. This could happen again. The things that are happening right now are mm-hmm. things that happen all the time, just right. in lower numbers. It's just that now you see them. You know how horrific it was when you couldn't go to the doctor because right. they were full? A lot of people can't do that all the time because right. they don't have money, because right. they their earnings are too low. So we should have national health insurance. You remember when you worried there was no food for you? Remember, Some lo- people every day. All the time. Tens of millions of people Children. every day like that. Kids, etc. That's that's an everyday thing. There's a lot more now, but it's an everyday thing. So we should maybe take care of that. It's not. It's, it's totally doable to take care of that. And maybe we should have a reasonably well developed welfare structure so that both to help people on a day to day when things are going normal, but also because as a kind of tail risk thing, if things get fucking out of control, we're not trying to figure out. Where do people live so we can send the money? Right. We I already mean, know that. What we what we what we can see happening now. I mean, you know, if if this stimulus and this relief package that the government is trying to get together that they're still debating that they should have passed a week ago. Oh my God! It, every day you see them, and it's like I, 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 I. And you know, there's exponential transmission happening. Infections are advancing. Oh yeah. People who are already sick are getting sicker. Yeah. No, the bill should have passed. Uh, 10, 15 days ago. And the fact and that once it passes, by the way, that's not the end of it. You've got to actually implement this. Right. And the fact that it hasn't passed is causing people to panic even more. Um, so like the, the tension continues to rise and rise and rise and rise. And unless we can get a hold of this and, and start to mediate the worst effects you're going to see that scary footage. You're going to see those healthcare centers uh, completely overwhelmed. You're going to see people disregarding the law. And you're going to see footage of like soldiers killing people outside. <laughs> um, and I mean, again, that's hard to recover from. It's not something that I want to see happen. It's not something that any country wants to have happen. Um, you're pretty much on a, a f- uh, the border of being a failed state at that point. Um, and, and I don't think anyone wants that. And I, I'm concerned about it. I don't want to see it. Um, but the things it will take to prevent that are things that a lot of Americans in political power have a mental block about. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh yeah. Oh, well, uh, yes. They're, these are things that are impossible. These are things that people can, don't support. These are things that could never be implemented. Like I was saying before with the... Uh, the the free daycare for grocery store workers of course as you know in the in the family fun pack clap 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 i advocate for free child well, we, we just had a whole thing about uh elizabeth warren's plan is more reasonable because you can't just do free daycare like bernie <laughs> yes. says yeah bernie put out his free child care plan which by the way directly based on family fun pack clap 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 bernie knows what's up they put out the free child care and pre-k thing and we're just like yeah just make it free Make it free, just like public school. Just make it free. And yes, well, yeah, the, who knows? Warren gets the credit because, she, well, I don't want to go and, you know. Let's not get that into Warren that. Warren shit is so boring at this point. But people have a mental block about this Yes, stuff. no, yeah. Oh, we've we got to do a sliding scale between zero and, and 7% of your income. They have in order a mental to keep, block about all three yes. of the big domains we've talked about. They have a mental block about production. They have a mental block about distribution. And they have a mental block about culture. These are three things in American life that are supposed to be completely unchangeable. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, no, yes, exactly, exactly. And it's like, well, you know what? They they just seem to have fucking snapped their fingers in Minnesota, right. and lo and goddamn behold, in the middle of an even more difficult situation than you would face in normal times, they were able to get together and get some free childcare right. for grocery store workers. Right. You can, we can't do that on an everyday basis. 
Right. Come on. Like you these just things saw are gonna, it with your own you eyes. Just saw, oh, they just did it in a war, way more difficult. Right. You can't just say. cut Americans a check. <laughs> yeah. Guess what? Just, just did it. Yes, you can. Um, so the right. possibilities are, are right. going to be. The government be... can't just run X industry. It would be run into the ground. Nope. No. You're about to see it run uh, to save lives and it's going to work. Yes. Um, and so I, I, you think that out of that, out of the ashes with that collective experience, you can build a legitimate social democratic society at the very least. Right. I mean, you would hope or at least there's a much greater possibility of it. That that is a hopeful strain to me. I mean, hopefully we don't get to that point. I don't want it to get that bad. But right. there's at least, you know, at the end of the story, hey guys, you saw what we did right just then when we massively increased benefits, when we, you know, like we could do that on a permanent basis and we should do it on a permanent basis. Not just free childcare workers for groceries, free childcare for grocery store workers in the middle of a crisis, free childcare for everyone. And I, and just I, like we've already got. Right. I will know. say historically, it's hard to unring a bell. It can so be like, hard. I mean, but on the other hand, uh, during World War II, as as I understand, there were there were there was a significant amount of free child care um, that was provided to help women uh, go into the factories, and you know, and then it didn't materialize. Well, from that so point. some parts, some um, parts <clears throat> did last, and some parts didn't. But um, you know, women going to work in the factories there that was, lasted. There was for an enormous sure. effort to reverse that yes. in the fifties, in the post-war era. Um, you know, so a lot of people feel like. There's this problem with with liberalism, with the Whig view of history, that things just get better and better and better, where people believe that because things just get better and better and better, then if you go back further in history, they must be worse and worse and worse in a linear way, right? So like, this is the best it's ever been, which means that 1970 was somewhat better than 1950, which was somewhat better than 1930 and all of the types of progress that matter. But that's not true. History changes quite a bit. Mm -hmm. And so women had a, a level of liberty um, and independence in the 20s and 30s that they didn't have in the 50s mm -hmm. because there was this reactionary cultural period where you get the 50s suburban housewife. Sure. And that was an effort to try to get women to leave work and leave financial independence and come home and be the type of housewife that, um, you know, they thought needed to exist to support the economy resuming a kind of traditionalist setup, mm -hmm. right? And of course, whenever you try to resume the way things were before, you can't go backwards. Mm -hmm. So you end up creating something entirely new. Mm -hmm. And so you had this, oh, yes. this creation of a brand new way of life and it didn't work. Out of that, you got the feminine mystique. That reactionary effort to try to get women to quit work and to quit participating in public life and to return to being, you know, essentially private people in homes created feminism, mm -hmm. created uh, the, the backlash that turned into fully germinated by the early 1970s into the women's liberation movement. Mm -hmm. So I have to think that this era of solidarity that we're all about to be forced into will be difficult to destroy. Right. Yes. It's never happened in our lifetime. Or, or it should give us at least uh, a few decades of running room, you would think. Right. I mean, that seems to have been in some ways the story of the post-war period in the U.S. and in Europe, right, is they were able to build these, you know, s somewhat like social democratic societies on the tail tales of these wars and then uh, unfortunately forgot 
you know, yeah. <laughs> forgot uh, starting in the 80s or whatever. Now we're, there's well, a lot of Well, you had a dialectic and so forth, but yeah. this is, a, this but that is still an inflection is a, point. What do they call it? The, the like glorious 30 years? Right. Or whatever this is, a, this is a black swan uh, event. I mean, it's amazing how quickly life can just completely turn around. Right. And, and let me finish with this on that point, because for as much as the centrists want to say that people like me... People like you, probably, if you're listening to this podcast, yeah, you guys are wasting your time Time's advocating guy. advocating for policies that don't have a chance to happen, and you're putting all your money into this, you know, this policy work to flesh it out. When this shit is not going to happen, why are you doing that? Why do you come on here, waste all this time to try to make this popular and so on? Uh, Joe Manchin's not going to vote for this shit and so on and so forth, right? Yeah, I get this shit all the time, of course, because of who I am and what I advocate, right? Like PPP, basically just burning money. People give you money and you produce these policies. Oh, they're very slick. Okay, yes, you, you know, you, you've dotted all the I's, crossed all the T's. For what? Yeah. Waste of time. You need to be trying to maximize the design of the next tax credit. That is the effective altruist if you really cared about poor people, Bob Greenstein stuff. Not talking about how we should have national health insurance with no cost sharing when you know that's not going to happen. Not talking about how we need to, you know, nationalize as much equity as we can and pay out a universal income to people when you know that's not going to happen. Yeah. Not on and on. Free child care. Dude, you'll be lucky to get some child care for poor families. And that's right. what you should be focusing on. Focus on expanding Head Start. Don't focus on creating a new public uh, child care system that completely replaces Head Start, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. All these people think they know the future. Right. And this is what I've tried to do when I've been on podcasts with these people yeah. and tried to argue with them and say, you have no idea what's going to happen in the future. You have no idea. Neither of us know. Whether it's Trump winning an election, whether it's a pandemic in this case, whether it's a war, whether you have no idea no what's going to happen. All sorts of random shit happens all the time. Things get shaken up and it, and we'll at least, not just in a kind of moral sense, spend our time arguing for the shit that's actually good instead of your shit, which you basically implicitly acknowledge is not good, but just think, well, practically, blah, blah, blah. Not only will I spend my time morally arguing for that because it's the right thing to do, but there will be a time, possibly, where we can actually put this together, right? And I can't tell you exactly how that's going to be, but it could be, and we'll at least be ready. Yeah, because think about this, and I don't know if if we'll get national health insurance out of this or not. It seems to me like it's at least plausible that that could happen. Yeah, right. Not completely out of the realm of imagination that after an enormous, just insane, just culling due to healthcare system being so fucked up, that people might say, "Yeah, you know what? I think people, everyone should have a." Public insurance, not tied to your employer, by the way, when 20% of people We're go suddenly out, go not, out yeah. of their job. How no. much time do we spend talking about, oh, what's great about this is uh, 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 Medicare for all who want it. If you like your uh, employer plan, you can keep it. Uh, good luck with that. Yeah. Fucking 20% of people. Are One day the fucking governor might say your employer's gone now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and then what happens? Yeah. And if we do get that, 
it will be because of the work we've done up to this point on Medicare for All. It'll be because if there wasn't a movement, if we hadn't just posted, even though Bernie is not doing well in the primaries at this point, if we hadn't posted literally basically every state that had an exit poll showing Democrats by two to one margins support Medicare for all, even as they go out and vote for Sleepy Joe for some reason. If we hadn't spent the time doing that, hadn't spent the time constructing this, it would not be a possibility at all. It wouldn't even be on the horizon. It wouldn't even be a thing you could think of. Right. But now you can. Now you can look and be like, shit, man, what? Medicare for all. Medicare, obviously, Medicare for all. Yeah. And I, you know, just take some solace in, in, uh, in, in acknowledging that this may or may not happen, but at least we're ready to possibly make it happen. Whereas the people who just a few months ago were saying anybody who's not spending their time on, on making a slightly better tax credit is basically yeah. just masturbating, they're fucking wrong. We don't um, here on the Brewcast want to see, and I want to make this clear because I don't want to panic you. We don't want to see the worst outcomes, and I'm not no, saying that's not. going to happen. I'm saying that... The, but that's just the trajectory we're on right now. Right now. If we don't do anything, it's plausible that the bad things that we're predicting could happen. Um, but I think that they can all be avoided, and I think we can still pull, pull back um, and, and steer this in a way that... Um, you know, gives us some leeway and gives us um, some room to to come together and get good outcomes. If you want recommendations from the Brewcast on how to think about this, here's my advice. Mm-hmm. Be optimistic. Be a happy soldier, which means every day, get up and think, what can I do to protect people who are high risk and to not pose a threat to them? Right now, that's staying indoors, working from home, uh, not going to crowded places. Um, it means um, uh, keeping track of your health. Don't go to the doctor if you have something you can take care of at home. Uh, and um, a- at the same time, keep an eye on what the needs are in your community. Right now, there's a critical blood product shortage, right? Because they can't hold blood drives because you can't get all those people in one place at a time. So uh, all over the country, uh, places that perform surgery, transplants, care for people with cancer, et cetera, they need blood products. Look up on the Red Cross website if there are blood drives near you where you can schedule an appointment and go in one at a time to give blood, especially if you have a rare blood type. Uh, Make sure that your neighbors who are high risk know that you are there to help them if they need food or medicine. Uh, And uh, be public-minded and pay attention. Try not to despair and put pressure on your elected representatives to make this right and take care of us because that is their job. And we can get through this together and we will be stronger together. Fight for someone you don't know, right? And look forward to a world in which that way of life is understood to be possible. I want to leave you with a meme because I thought it was funny. Have you ever seen this before? I know it's weird to do a sight gag on a podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, yeah, there's been uh, like a hundred variations. Yeah, of this. but you've got the two Wojak guys and one guy's like, no, no, you can't artificially inflate the economy by creating money to fight an economic downturn. This is like the, the anti-MMT an guy. Cap. He's wearing an ANCAP right, right. thing. And then you've got an MMT guy over here well, or whatever yeah, who just goes... I, I disagree with that. But Who goes, ha ha, money printer, go brr. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but the point is, there are all of these orthodoxies about what can and can't happen. And then it's as simple as like one guy being like, ha ha, yeah, it can. 
money yes. printer go brrr. there's even a covid version with a cell saying no you can't hijack my cell membrane and force me to make copies of you and the the coronavirus saying haha protein printer go brrr. <laughs> um but it was look, one with the, the, the my favorite one was the trump one where yeah. like uh, it was a democrat uh guy who was like you can't just give everyone money uh, without means testing it and targeting it and yeah. so on and then you have trump's face yeah and he goes haha money printer go brrr. um so here we are right uh, you can't control uh, production. You just have to let the market do it with incentives. You can't just distribute money and benefits to people. You have to think about tiny incremental advances to already existing programs to keep the industries happy. And you can't get Americans to be public-minded and cooperative. Ha ha, COVID go brrr. 